Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. We often actually judge people by what they can do, but that's completely irrelevant because it's who you are that matters, not what you could do. Ingalie Sparling is one of the most positive humans you could ever meet. She has the kind of energy that just makes you feel good when you spend time with her. Ingalise has a Master of Science in Coaching Psychology and has made a career out of connecting the dots between positive psychology, leadership, communication and change management. Ingalise has been published in the Coaching Psychologist Journal and with a keen interest in well-being, one of the best gigs she's ever had was as the editor of a national health magazine. With a stellar career working with many of the country's top corporates, she's now focusing on doing good, not just well. Ingalise is a founder of 21 Gifts, a kindest project aimed at shifting the narrative surrounding a child diagnosis. Inspired by her beautiful daughter Maya, they partnered with hospitals to provide hope, joy and inspiration at time of diagnosis through to a Welcome to the World gift box, as well as medical outreach presentations. Any conversation I have with Ingalise is always really fascinating, as I learn so much about a world that I know little about. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Ingalise. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I wish that society could talk more about disability and actually shift the whole narrative around what that looks like and particularly what it looks like to be born with a disability in 2020. Because as you know, I'm a mom to a beautiful child with a disability. So I just want to kick ass with all those old stereotypes and the focus on challenges and shed light on all those endless opportunities and the adventure that, you know, families like ours are on. Oh, what an amazing topic. It's such a lovely gesture for you and to, you know, openly come in here and talk about this. So thank you for being part of it and for raising this, because I agree, it's an absolutely vital topic that we need to talk more about. So can we start then by talking a little bit about your daughter and how old she is and the story around her and uh, what her disability is? So Maya is almost five years old now, and she is the most beautiful of wildflowers. She is completely zen, just the most, you know, chilled and relaxed child that you could ever have. She is very funny. She loves books, uh, loves music. I think she's going to be an actress when she's older because she just loves to act out scenarios. And she was also born with an extra chromosome, which means that she has Down syndrome or trisomy 21, which it's also known as. 
Right. Amazing. So I love the way that you talk about your daughter in such um, beautiful, loving ways. And I can't wait to meet her. I've seen obviously lots of photos and videos of her, but um, yeah, she sounds divine. So well, you also started a business called 21 Gifts to raise awareness, I guess, around people having disabilities or assisting those parents that have children with disabilities. Can you talk to me a bit about that company as well? Yeah, absolutely. So 21 Gifts has been an idea that I've had pretty much since Maya was born because she was born in Norway almost five years ago. And when she was born, I didn't know anything about disabilities. Uh, And the way that her diagnosis was delivered was very negative. You know, it was all framed in, you know, focusing on all the possible challenges I had, uh, you know, all the things that could go wrong in a human life. And do you mean, sorry, that's the after she was born and then that negativity came from uh, doctors and nurses? Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so when she was born, uh, she was born perfectly healthy. You know, she came out kicking and screaming. She scored 10 out of 10 on those, you know, the newborn tests that they do straight away. So she was healthy as anything. And, you know, everyone was celebrating around us and saying congratulations and, you know, telling us how perfect she was. And then within 48 hours, all of that changed and we were taken into a room for what I thought was just a routine, you know, chat about your child. Uh, and we got in there and the doctor asked, well, the first thing she said was if we thought that Maya looked like us. And I just looked at this person and I remember thinking, who are you? And of course she looks like us. Uh, and I told her that, yeah, she does. And I think she looks like the grandma and, you know, all those things. And the doctor looked back at me and said, you know, the reason I'm asking is because she doesn't and she's showing signs of Down syndrome. And from that moment, everything, you know, the whole atmosphere in the room just changed. It was like there was a butt attached to her life. Um, the nurse in the corner cried. And for me, it wasn't it wasn't actually the diagnosis because I didn't know anything about Down syndrome. So I was just looking to, you know, to these medical professionals for guidance for how to feel. And because their reaction was so negative and so focused on, you know, the way they were framing it, I thought that, her life was almost over before it even started. You know, all those emotional clues, uh, the tears, all of that just reducing my beautiful, beautiful newborn child into something less than a newborn. Yeah, and the negativity around that, as you say, like that, amazing. What a what a thing to go through, though. So what happened next? Yeah, and I remember just looking down at Maya and thinking, you know, oh my God, she is going to feel this shift in energy because I believe in energy. So I was so scared and I felt so guilty that she was in this room with us, you know, where things went from being, you know, like a celebration of a new baby to this like, you know, terribly tense emotional state. And I wish I could tell you what happened the next five days, but I actually can't remember because I think my body just, you know, in my brain just shut down trying to protect myself from, you know, from whatever was going on. You're probably in shock, I imagine. Like that would be something to go through. But as you're saying, like you're trying to process everything because having a a newborn as well is, you know, overwhelming and and very emotional. And then getting told this news, like the elation, and then it's like this kind of roller coaster you would have been on for a few days and you not feeling that way. She's still your child. She's still your baby. And then for having, you know, other people be negative about her. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Exactly. So I just got so angry and I was so sad. And I think people thought that I was sad because of the diagnosis, but I wasn't. I was sad because of society's reaction to it. Like it absolutely killed me. 
to see, because I just kept thinking, you know, how am I going to protect this beautiful child against all of this? You know, how am I going to carve out, help her carve out a life where people celebrate her and see her just for who she is? So in those early days, that's, you know, that's what was going on around me. And I just, I think I just spent all my energy just trying to really protect her from that. I was like, you know, no one is to say a bad thing in front of her. I don't want her in the room if you're telling me about possible, you know, side effects or anything. I was like, you know, like, let's keep her out of this because I just didn't want her to hear it. And I'm still very protective like that. To me, I mean, those kind of points that you're raising, it's almost like you were educating the medical profession because, I mean, their natural go-to, and I think this is the point, right, for us having this conversation today, is people have a negative view of someone with disability unless you know someone with disability or you have someone in your life or you have a disability. People, you know, often have this negative, like, oh, poor, the poor person or poor you as the parents to have a baby like that, whereas your point is it's actually the opposite, like, you know, one, they're human beings. And two, just because you have a disability doesn't mean you're less than. Um, in many cases, you know, a lot of people with disabilities are far more better humans than a lot of other people. How did you navigate that then with the medical profession other than what you just explained around, you know, not having Maya in the room when, you you know, they were being negative? Like, where did you go next? Yeah, we were really, really lucky because we're going through this, like, foggy, I call it the diagnosis storm, where you just don't know up from down. You know, in, in our case, we didn't know up from down syndrome. We're just trying to figure, you know, trying to learn, like, what does this mean? And I kept thinking, well, me and my husband kept saying, this can't be the true picture. Like, this cannot be everything. Because, you know, it just spoke so against my belief system and so against everything that I've ever believed in. You know, we were really, really lucky that what happened next was actually that a beautiful, beautiful nurse on duty came to our room and she delivered this tiny red baby suitcase. Uh, and it was a gift from other parents in Norway who had children with Down syndrome. And I opened this suitcase and it was, you know, it was the answer to everything that I was wondering. Uh, because, oh, you know, goosebumps. I know, Goodness. you know, it, beautiful. it was just amazing. It had a book written by, you know, this beautiful family who, strangely enough, I actually knew, but I just had never even like registered that they had a daughter with Down syndrome. Yeah. And letters from other parents of children with Down syndrome. And it was just a guide into a future that I didn't know how to imagine. But then I could see, you know, I could see it in this beautiful suitcase. I could see that, you know what, life is still an adventure and we are going to have an amazing one. Yeah. I love that. Just so beautiful. And so then that was the catalyst when you came to Australia to set up 21 gifts because you felt that, you know, there was nothing like this in Australia that um, supported uh, people like you were supported in that moment in time. Exactly. And I think, you know, the Down syndrome community here in Australia is amazing. There are so many support communities and I shouldn't even say support communities because we don't even need the support. You know, it's actually a very healthy, yeah, healthy and happy point. tribe of yeah. people. But there are a lot of, you know, amazing people doing amazing things. But there wasn't anything in the hospitals. And I just kept getting frustrated hearing the same story over and over again. And I thought, you know, we're all having these terrible diagnosis moments. And it's so incredibly unfair to our children to have that as the opening act of their life. And I thought I need to set up something similar to this here in Australia and then just do a few tweaks with it so that this suitcase is actually handed out as close to diagnosis as possible, or which means, you know, whether it's prenatal or after birth, it's in the medical's toolbox. 
Yeah, so that's what we set up here. And then I just merged in my background in positive psychology, threw in a few of those, you know, small tricks. Uh, and now we've set up this amazing community of health professionals all around Australia, in New Zealand as well, who, you know, help spread joy to families at point of diagnosis. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. What are the statistics these days of children in Australia and maybe New Zealand to be diagnosed with Down syndrome? It's actually funny because there's no official statistics, but the latest numbers that I saw from the Down Syndrome Association in Australia was around 380 children in Australia born every year uh, and then around 80 children in New Zealand born every year. And how many of those are diagnosed prenatal? No one knows. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no one okay. knows. And I think it's I think it is actually a myth that so many children are diagnosed before birth as well because we tend you know we live in a society where we think that we can control everything. And I don't normally talk about this, but I actually had the, you know, the so-called harmony test with Maya. You know, she flew through. She did not want to be, you know, put in a box even, you know, when she was in my belly. In the womb. Yeah, exactly. So she is, you know. She's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat on this test. Exactly. I'm sort it out. I she's love like, it. do not put me in the corner, you know. So, you know, she's living proof that these tests are just, you know, the only thing that is 100% accurate are the actual amnio. Um, I can't even remember what it's called, but the amnio thing, you know, with the needle in the pillow. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So I think the question that's probably, you know, people would be curious about then, and I remember when I was growing up, a friend of my mum's and they'd had a, a child with Down syndrome, and I used to do a lot of work when I was at school with the local centre for disability and like almost like work experience. And so, you know, my mum had sort of worked there as a nurse and, and I would assist after school. And so it gave me a really amazing insight into these people that were different to me, you know, whether they had autism or Down syndrome or any other, you know, form of what was we called disabilities. But you really got to see they taught me so much about, you know, some of them were so smart and such beautiful personalities, but really taught me different things about life. And but I remember my mum saying about a friend saying, I just you know, I wouldn't be able to do that. I don't have the patience to have a child or the, you know, I'm not as good enough person to be able to bring a child like that into the world, which I remember was quite profound for me at the time. But mum felt that she sort of knew that about herself. I think your attitude to Maya and, you know, I think would probably be unusual until, you know, those people kind of learn to live with a child that has a disability. I think, uh, you know, I've never met anyone quite with an attitude like you right from the start, which is such a beautiful thing. But how do you educate people in that regard to take this on and have a different attitude like you do? It's, It's phenomenal. Well, I think to take the first point first in terms of, you know, those comments, because I do get a lot of those comments like, oh, this is so amazing. You know, you're so strong. I really couldn't have. And I just think, well, you know what? This is what parenthood is. You know, you become a parent and you just do, you know, you will move mountains for your child. Uh, And the thing that's interesting as well is that being Maya's mom is not hard. It's actually really, really easy. I've got two daughters now. Now that I've I've got Lola as well, because Maya is my first child, so I didn't have anything to compare to. And I remember very early on as well, I just kept thinking like, 
everyone's telling me this should be so different, but you know, it's actually not. And that, and she did, you know, when she was a baby, she did everything babies do and she rolled on time and, you know, she followed all those milestones. Not that that matters because I think that's also a thing. It's like, you know, we often actually judge people by what they can do, but that's completely irrelevant because it's who you are that matters, not what you could do. Absolutely. And I think that's your core message through all this, isn't it? Exactly. And I think it just really opens your eyes to the fact that that, you know, that's what quality of life is about. It's not about what you can do and what you can achieve, but it's actually about achieving the things that you want to and then celebrating that. And whether that's becoming, you know, the next president or being able to, you know, really participate in community life, like, you know, whatever goal it is that you set yourself, as long as it's aligned with your values, that's going to bring you great quality of life and improved well-being. And I think also around, you know, the element of joy, which you talk about with Maya, that she obviously has so much joy in life. She's such a gorgeous uh, human and and she brings a lot of joy to others. And so, you know, that's a kind of key element too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And she, I think, you know, children teach you about life. That's kind of, you know, that's a fact. So I learn, you know, as much from Lola as I learned from Maya, but they're quite different things as well, because I think with Maya, she just makes you stop in your tracks a little bit. Uh, And so she makes you pay attention. I've always wanted to live a very mindful life. You know, when I married Daniel, we were like, you know, we aren't going to be the A4 family. We are going to, you know, live life to our own beat. We're going to do our own thing, but we are always going to stay true to our values and live life very mindfully. And then Maya came along and it's almost like, you know, I remember just before we left the hospital, we looked at each other and we just said, wow, you know, this child is made for us because she will help us do that. And we will help her do that as well. What a beautiful way to look at it, Ingelise. Like, honestly, that's just amazing. And I know that you, that's what you're saying, right? That that's, it shouldn't be amazing and that shouldn't be the reaction, but it is unusual. And I think the point is that we need to make that, that that's not unusual because, you may have a kid that is absolutely perfect, as you said, in all the different metrics and they're physically okay and they have, you know, genetically they're okay. And then as they grow up later, they're absolute terrors and they're in jail or they, you know, <laughs> kill someone. You know what I mean? like, there's all spectrums of stuff. And so uh, I think your point around, you know, you're a parent and you have to love and protect your child regardless, but it's society's element around disability that makes it negative rather than what you're saying is the reality is very different. Exactly. And that's where I think, you know, it's it's not unusual because all the families that I know, and, you know, I've got a lot of friends now with children with, you know, various disabilities. And the one thing that we all have in common is that we all live amazing lives. We think our children are the business. We think they are absolutely amazing, even when they are little terrorists, because, you know, that's the other stereotype. It's the whole thing, oh, you know, you know, children with Down syndrome, little angels can't do anything wrong. And I'm like, yes, they can, you know, trust me. <laughs> so it's like life is completely normal and disability itself is actually normal. And I think that's something that, you know, like when I was thrown into this new world, except it's not a new world, you know, it's the world we always lived in. But when I got an insight into a part of it that I didn't really know existed, I realized that, you know, disability is a completely naturally occurring fact of life. And I remember like, you know, back in quite early on, I was like, I was doing as much research as I could because I just wanted to know more about it. And like in Australia, for example, one in five Aussies live with a disability, like one in five, you know, you know, you think that it's something that happens to others or it's, you know, it's different, 
But then it's like, no, it's not. It's, you know, one in five. And every second hour, a kid here in Australia is diagnosed with an intellectual disability. So disability is not something that happens to others. It's not something that is that different. It's just that we've never used to talk about it because when you look at history and, you know, it's so sad, but if Maya was born in the 70s, chances are that the medical professionals would have recommended that we placed her in an institution. Like I have friends with children my age who have done syndrome and other disabilities and that's what they were told. It just means that, you know, that was still the norm. That part of history really has consequences for how we see disability today. Because like, if you look at my life, I didn't grow up knowing anyone with a disability. And it's because they weren't part of society the way that they are today. Like Maya has always gone to mainstream daycare. She's in a mainstream preschool now. She's going to go to mainstream school. You know, I'm hoping if she wants to, you know, she can go to university. She can do whatever she wants because there are these days, there's targeted programs and degrees for people with a disability. And I just think that that is going to have a massive effect on how we see and talk about disability in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's one thing for her to, you know, go to school in those sort of environments, you know, surrounded by other kids, but also for the other kids to embrace her and be part of that as well. So was that hard to, you know, navigate that? Like, is it difficult for her to be in mainstream um, education systems? Like, did you have to fight for that? Or do, you know, as you say, like people recommending for her to go to special schools or is it a little bit better these days? I can only speak from my experience, but for us, like we've been, it's been easy for us. There was never any discussion. And the thing is too, I was prepared. You know how you go in and you just, I know the, you know, the UN rights for people with disabilities and all that. So I, because I've heard horror stories of people having to fight to be included in the mainstream but the way that I see it and the way that it should be is you know Maya is part of society so why shouldn't she be included from the very beginning and of course you know there are some children who you know for you know various reasons may be happier or be like I think that's a completely individual decision and up to the parents but for us it was never a question you know we always knew that we wanted Maya to yeah to be part of mainstream and that you know who knows you know, it may change when she's a teenager, you never know. But for right now, I'm just making sure that she is a delightful addition to the community, just the same way that Lola is. Yeah, and as it should be. So so talk to me then about some of the myths and I guess challenges that you have faced and also what you want to dispel, I guess, you know, like, because you've talked to me previously about some of the stuff that people say to you, you know, like you're in a coffee shop and people say random stuff. I think it'd be good to bring that out in the open, even though they're tough conversations to have, but to talk that out. And then also maybe we can talk about like shit people say, I guess, <laughs> it's a bit like the chapter <laughs> in my book that I wrote about, you know, having kids and the people, you know, things that people used to say to me. And then how I kind of wrote about, well, what's the answer to that? How should people talk about this? Because I think, you know, part of this education element of what you're talking about is to help people be better in this situation. Exactly. And I just want to say as well that, you know, this whole conversation, this is my perspective as a mom to a child with a disability. You know, I don't actually live with a disability myself. So I'm very aware that I can't talk on behalf of people with a disability and I'm not trying to either. This is literally, you know, this is my story. This is my perspective. Uh, and right now, as Maya's mom, she's still so little, so I can be her voice. But, you know, I'm expecting her to have her own voice in the future, uh, and I will let her have that. But for now, I'm just sharing my perspective 
as a parent with a child with a disability. And really just, you know, like I said in the beginning, I just want to kick ass with some of those old and outdated stereotypes about, you know, what family life looks like for us, because it is just the complete opposite. Right. Okay. Well, let's get into some of those. So what are the, what are the, some of this dumb stuff that people say to you? <laughs> oh, the dumb stuff. Okay. Where do I start? Well, in the beginning, of course, there was a lot of stories. You know, people would hear that we had a had a daughter, like a beautiful little child. And instead of saying congratulations, they would say sorry. So that's like number one. If anyone listening has a friend who has a child with any kind of disability, don't tell them you're sorry. Focus on the child. Be happy for, you know, who that child is. Take the parents' lead. And I think because, like I said, I can't speak for everyone. You know, there is a time to be genuine with people. And, you know, sometimes I did need a clap on my shoulder, recognizing that, you know, the situation that I was in was hard, but I did not want to hear. And I have yet to meet a parent who wants to hear, you know, a sorry attached to their child. So don't say you're sorry. When people do say things like, you know, I couldn't have done this. You are so strong and I admire you for that. I just smile and I say, you know, I'm no stronger than you. I have an amazing daughter. So if you had an amazing daughter like mine, you would do the same. You would, you know, you would move mountains for her and you would see that those mountains aren't actually that high. It is, you know, it's not that different. Beautiful. I love it. The worst is when people ask about testing. Because for Down syndrome, you know, you can test. And like we spoke about, you know, like, you know, the test may not be that accurate, but Down syndrome is still singled out as something that can be prevented. So I find that a lot of people, and this is from from medical professionals to friends, family, to strangers while I'm waiting in line getting a coffee, will ask me questions like, oh, did you know? Or even worse, like, why didn't you test? Or... I'm pregnant, I will definitely have the test. And you're like... Yeah, what what do you say to that? I know, like, what do you say to that? And also, you have your child sitting there or standing there with you and they ask that question, like, it's just as incomprehensible. They're really challenging situations to be in and as, you know, you rightly said, it's often people that are strangers that feel the right to have an opinion about your life and that's the sort of stuff that shits me you know I'm like who are you to have an opinion especially just in a coffee shop for fuck's sake I know. Like, and you just like you've got your kid right there and I'm like she's the most well-behaved kid in the whole line she's aware of these conversations around yes. her I mean like she's not you know she's a smart kid yeah so. she's really really smart and that's another thing you know very often with disabilities and especially visible disabilities we kind of think that what we see is like what you get and you know whereas it completely isn't and down syndrome is a mild to moderate intellectual disability and then it's also got a physical element meaning like you know a lot of people with down syndrome have lower muscle tone which means that things like talking it's more difficult because you know it takes more than 100 muscles to produce speech like i didn't know that but now i know and it just means that for maya having clear speech is actually really really hard her but it's got it's not a reflection at all on her intellect do you know what I mean so it's kind of that and I think that comes with a lot of children with disabilities if you think you know if if they don't have clear speech or if they're non-verbal you kind of think oh you know that's probably a reflection of what's inside but it completely isn't and that's why I'm like I said you know I'm very protective in these social settings and I just you know I'll just move on and I'm not the kind of person to make a scene because I, yeah. And I also think that you should kill things with kindness. 
So I will just try to, you know, diffuse it. But, you know, I've taken the opportunity to speak my mind on several occasions and people generally take that quite well. But I find that the best way to actually approach it is those kind of questions. I just ask them a question back. So I say, ah, why do you ask? And then people go, oh, because, mm," and then they, you know, then they realize. If we bring this full circle, then what are the key elements that you wish that people would be better in this regard? Like, how do we be as a society? How do we be more accepting to those with disabilities? I think we all need to acknowledge that we don't know and that it's actually okay to not know, but it's not okay to be ignorant. So I think, you know, we live in a different, like it's 2020, we should not be ignorant anymore. So I think people should listen to people who live life with a disability, you know, and how they're kicking ass and having amazing lives. Like, you know, tune into Dylan Alcott's new podcast called Listenable. You know, it is amazing and it will smash out any stereotype that you ever had. And they deep dive into, you know, things that people find hard to talk about. If you want to listen to parent perspectives, two peas in a podcast is absolutely fantastic. It's two, you know, two moms of of twins who talk about life and the roller coaster of life. And also, you know, what it may look like when you walk the road less traveled. Although that, you know, we often say that, but then I'm like, you know what? It's actually a very well-trotted road. It's just that, you know, other people don't see it. And that's another myth. It's like that life for me as a mom would be so hard or that I would feel lonely. And I have never, if there's, yes, of course, back in the hospital, those first few weeks, I felt really, really lonely. But then I realized, first of all, I still have my amazing network of friends and family. And then what was gifted to me with my is also this amazing community, uh, you know, all around the world uh, of parents who have children with a unique infrastructure. And I've just formed the most amazing friendships because of that. Oh, it's wonderful. And I think you just give a uh, really refreshing insight and uh, perspective on this, Ingelise. It's been uh, incredibly enlightening for me as well, like to learn, you know, all these elements from you. And um, yeah, I intend to be better in this space as well. And I think, you know, in the introduction of your podcast, you talk about the power that doctors often have over us. You know, I think this is one of those situations too where it's it's so true because we look to doctors for help and for guidance. And when it comes to disability, because, you know, it is diagnosed by the medical professionals, so we look it's to It's seen them. as negative. Exactly. So it's so important that they too are actually aware of their powers. It's almost, you know, I come from a corporate background, so I've trained a lot of leaders in public speaking and, you know, how to like, you know, boost employee, employee engagement and those kind of things. And when I work with them, I always say like, you know, what are you trying to achieve? What do you want people to think, feel and do? So, you know, you've got to talk to their heart, you've got to talk to their mind, you've got to talk to their hands. And I think for the medical professionals, when it comes to disability, that's exactly where we need to move to, because it's not about throwing all the information and all the statistics at people. You know, we don't do that to a typical newborn, you know, like when you have a baby. Imagine if a doctor sat you down, uh, and I'm laughing because it's so bizarre, but literally sat you down and started like listing all the things that can go wrong in a human life you know, talking about, and even like looking so at, true. I know, and like looking so at, the, true. yeah, and looking at like the childhood experiences and, you know, the mental health statistics for children, bullying in school. There are some very shocking and confronting health risks involved in being alive, but we don't give 
that information to new parents when they're sitting there with a beautiful well, newborn. Freak out. Exactly. <laughs> but when you have a child. But are you saying that's what, yeah. Yeah, because like, then it's like you need to, to know you. all this. But it's like, actually, you know what? We don't need to know that because that is a list of things that may happen. I'm trying to figure out how to breastfeed. Like, don't give me that list of things that can go wrong in like 20 years. It's a very good point. (laughs) I think that's brilliant and such a good thing for us to think about and leave with here. So, Ingelise, it's been an absolute delight to chat to you today. Thank you very much for being on the podcast and for sharing your, you know, really personal insights and passion about this. And um, I... Uh, wish you well with your new business. It did only just start through COVID. So 21 gifts and we'll put some information on the uh, show notes about how people can find out more about you. So anything else you'd like to finish with today? Just that I think, you know, if we talk about changing the way that we think about disability and how we talk about it, I think it actually involves a change in perspective to looking at life from a strengths-based perspective. Because once you do that, everything changes because then you see the opportunities, you see the joy, you see the best in other people uh, and you see then, you know, that reflected back on you. So you really grab onto the kindness and, you know, all the good things in life. And I think for that real shift to happen, I think, and I think that's something that we are seeing, you know, with all the kindness revolutions. So I'm really hopeful for the future. I think that there has never been a better time, you know, to have a little beautiful girl like my daughter because I feel like I can see the world changing around us all the time. Beautiful. That is just gorgeous. So thank you so much. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode, or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of wabi-sabi, and walk proud in your perfect imperfections.